morning, America, and points beyond. This is The Daily Answer, your host, Mark Dunnigan. Uh, Now and then I'll read a book, a book outside of the Bible. I think it's important that a person is well-read, and there, boy, you you don't have any time to waste, my friend. Even if you're young, you need to redeem the time, because there are so many good books that you need to read. While back, I read a book called Life at the Bottom, and the name of the author's first name is Theodore. Last name is D-A-L-R-Y-M-P-L-E, and he worked in hospitals and prisons in England, often caring for people at the bottom of the social or economic ladder. He was writing back in about the year 2000, and among the poor in England, he found a poverty different than the poverty in Africa, India, or other third world countries. He notes that the poor in the West were not without food. That is the poor in Western civilization, uh, the poor in developed countries like England, uh, United States, they do not fear starvation. Now, they may not always have their first choice of what they wanna eat, They may not have access to fresh fruits and vegetables or a a, a real nice dinner, but they don't fear starvation. And I I found that happening as I was preaching uh, for a congregation for 28 years. More and more people came up not wanting wanting food. Uh, They didn't need food. They had plenty of food, plenty of access to food. They had, they had cards that enabled them to go to the grocery store, buy all sorts of groceries. Um, they had, um, there were food banks, etc. cetera. Uh, they had plenty of food. They wanted money instead. He also found that people in Western countries who are poor, they do not fear being fired or just not showing up at work. They don't fear that. In generations before, there was a fear of being fired because there was no safety net. Um, Boy, what am I going to do? How am I going to support my family? Uh, How am I going to put food on the table? There were not all these safety nets out there. And that the poverty in Western nations is more the result of a mindset or a worldview, which sadly often comes down, filtered down from academia. And already the victimhood mentality was becoming entrenched, even by the year 2000. The professional counselors, therapists, not all of them, but a good number of them, were telling these people that their condition had nothing to do with their own moral choices or lack of them, and that it was the fault of the system, a fault of an unjust society, their parents, and so on. The book describes many of the conversations that the writer had with drug addicts, criminals, men who beat their wives and girlfriends, and the women who tended to justify or excuse the behavior of the abusers. I thought it was insightful. One man excused his bad behavior, and this would be one example, and drug use on the fact that, well, I'm just easily led. You know, that sounds pretty good. And I think sometimes maybe the typical therapist or counselor may not push back on that. Well, yeah. I just have a mind that's easily led. I'm just a follower. Well, wait wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, Let's talk about that a little bit deeper. Hopefully as I grow older, I will learn to ask 
the next obvious question and not just let the conversation stop and just take somebody's word for something because that's what they say. In the book, the doctor pushed back and he challenged, he challenged the people that he was trying to help. And he said to the man, well, you know, I'm just one of those personalities that's easily led. And he said, well, have you ever been easily led to study mathematics or the subjunctives of French verbs? Has your, has your mind ever led you there? And why is it that your mind only leads you in directions that don't take any effort? That are the directions of instant gratification. Has your mind ever led you to clean up your room? Fill out a job application. Um, stop sleeping around. You know, I was fornicating and sleeping around, but, you know, I'm easily led and I stopped doing that. Or has anyone ever said, hey, how did you beat your alcoholism? Well, I'm easily led and my mind just led me to stop drinking. And the man that he was talking to, a smile came over his face where like, I'm on to your buddy. I know exactly the game you're playing here. And that is, you're right. That's not a very good excuse because I only use that when I end up doing something that's convenient, it's gonna feel good instantly. There's instant gratification and it doesn't take a whole lot of work. My mind has never easily led me to do anything difficult. <laughs> or how about this? I've been never easily led to do anything unselfish. You know, what person says, hey, why are you such a servant? Well, I'm easily led. You know, if you're so easily led, why weren't you easily led by the example of your parents? or easily led by school teachers who took an interest in helping you when all you had to do is just study. That's all you had to do. Nothing else required of you. Show up, listen, pay attention, go home, do your homework. Yeah, come back, be prepared for the next class. Not a, that's not a lot being expected of you. On this point, I am reminded of Ezekiel chapter 18 where it says in verse two, what do you mean by using this proverb concerning the land of Israel saying, the fathers eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. And I think the idea is we can't help ourselves. Our parents were so bad, our parents were so sinful that we can't just help ourselves, you know? We're just, uh, they ate the sour grapes, we're the one that have the te teeth set on edge. God says, don't say that. I don't want to hear that again. Behold, all swords are mine, verse 4, chapter 18, the soul of the father, as well as the son of the soul of the son, the soul who sins will die. Everyone's accountable for themselves. You can't pin it on anybody else. Then he gives three specific scenarios in the verses that follow. Starting verse 5, a really, really good man, but he has a violent, wicked son, 10. Then a really, really bad father, who has a really good boy, verse 14. And then again, we come down to verse 20, where it's reiterated, the person who sins will die. 
The son is not, the son does not inherit the father's sins. The son is not responsible for the father's sins. The sons, the son, the sins that the son commits are on him, his head. The sins that the father commits, they're on his head. That's the way it works. You will answer for yourself and no one else. A woman justified her boyfriend that periodically would strangle her or was in the habit of that. And she said, but he doesn't do it all the time. Well, there you go. Well, he's not trying to strangle me every day. So what's the big deal? Um, then she said, but when it happens, it just seems to, he just seems to have a fit. And as if he could not help himself, something just comes over him and he just loses it. And okay, that sounds pretty good. He's not responsible when he's strangling me because he's just having a fit. The daughter, the doctor asked her, if your boyfriend was here right now in the room, okay, I'm here, you're here, he's here, would he attempt to strangle you? Well, she said, well, of course not. Well, and then the light bulb went in her, on a, in her head. Then it dawned on her. Well, if my boyfriend would never, ever attempt to strangle me in the presence of another man, then it's not a fit. Then it's not just something that comes over him. Then it's actually some, then he's not helpless. He's making a conscious choice. He can help himself. He can control his temper. He would be controlling his actions. He would be controlling his temper with this other man in the room which brought about the hard truth, he does not love me. He does not care about me. He only cares about myself. When you read such things, it's hard to believe that people can fool or deceive, deceive themselves. Yet our culture is all too ready to intervene, give you a victim card, which means you're not morally accountable for your actions until someone else can either fix the unjust society. Oh, by the way, that unjust society out there, and I know it's not perfect, okay? And nobody ever claimed it was. We live in a world where sin has entered, and that's from Genesis chapter 3. And so there's always going to be elements of evil out there and injustice. But by the way, that same society that you might claim to be so unfair and so unjust, guess what? It gives you clean water. It provides you with a cell phone, internet access, dependable electricity, a grocery store with shelves stock full of all sorts of different food items, amenities for the common man that were not available to kings and queens only 100 years ago. Yeah, it gives you air conditioning as well. And how about this? Pain-free surgery and aspirin, medications, all of those sort of things gives you dentists it gives you men and women who have you know put in years burning the midnight oil five hours of sleep at night so they could serve you and so your teeth don't hurt when you eat and when and also so that when you're 50 years old you still have teeth and you can have a steak yeah the same unjust society gives you all those blessings as well and so be careful of the idea that, oh, cruel world out there, and that I am not morally accountable 
and some magic cure is going to have to show up. And until that time, uh, my bad behavior is excused. Of course, God says otherwise. We will answer for all our actions, 2 Corinthians 5.10, and also Ecclesiastes 12, 13 through 14. And in Matthew 12, 36, Jesus said, we'll answer for every careless word. The other day, I was struck by the fact that 600 years prior to the arrival of Jesus to his birth, what we have is that the Jewish people had been under Babylonian domination, then Persian, then Greek, then Roman rule. For a little time, they were free, but for the most point, they were a subject people. When John the Baptist and Jesus showed up, they did not say, the Romans are the problems, the Romans are the problem, hang in there, God's going to show up and get rid of those bad people. You know, that was not the issue. John and Jesus show up, Luke 3, 2, and the first thing out of their mouth is, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I know that you, for the most part, have been a subject people for the last 600 years, and a good deal of it was your own fault. You went into captivity because your sins. And I know the people that have ruled over you have not been all the, have not been the kindest people, the nicest people, or the most just people on the planet. But guess what? What is your job? Your job is to repent of your sins. You are accountable for your sins. Jesus said the same thing in Luke chapter 13 when some people showed up and tried to, you know, try to get involved, him involved in, well, like, you know, what Pilate did to these people and et cetera. And Jesus says, um, excuse me, but the reason those bad things happen to those people is not because they were the worst people on the earth. And unless you repent, you'll likewise perish. He refused to get sidetracked and say the problem is Pilate and the problem is the Romans. He, rather, he said, the real issue is your sins that you need to address, your sins that you need to acknowledge and break away from. The woman caught in adultery in John 8 was not told you're a victim of an unjust society you've been taken advantage of. Rather, she was told, go and sin no more, John 8, 11. In the book of Acts, when the gospel was preached, it was never, you are not accountable because you're under Roman rule or you're a slave, or you're this, or you're that. Rather, God now declares all men everywhere to repent. Acts 17, verse 30. And when you think about it, actually, the only way you can grow up is to accept responsibility for your own life. You might say, could that be like the beginning of adulthood or maturity when you are accepting responsibility for your own choices? We need to come to terms with the fact that in spite of what may or may not have happened to us, and friend, everyone has a story. As I have traveled with my wife and Bella the cat throughout America for the last, oh, 24 months, everyone has a story. That is, everyone is struggling with something. Everyone has been treated unfairly on a certain level, and everyone has sinned, Romans 3.23. Daniel's three friends were not excused by God because they were foreigners in Babylon. Rather, they were held to the same moral standard as everyone else. Daniel 3. I'm impressed the same thing. Titus 2. Read Titus 2. and In fact, read the New Testament and you will find, guess what? Men are accountable for their actions. 
Women are accountable for their actions. Children have accountability. They're told to obey their parents in the Lord. And even servants are accountable for their actions. Is that no matter what your background was, your social economic level, or whether you're a man or woman, slave or free, guess what? You were held to the exact same moral standard as everybody else. You were not held to a lower standard and you, not, you were not held to a higher standard. No matter what your background, you were expected to be truthful, honest, moral, abstain from sins, and practice the virtues. Well, why don't, why don't you be somewhere? And I, I guess I would, I would say that, you know what? I don't know if your mind is easily led every, anywhere. It takes effort. It takes effort, any path you take. And so do not be deceived. Don't just be easily led. Rather, pick up your cross and follow Jesus. And you will become the best, best version of yourself that you can be. This is Mark Dunnigan another episode of The Daily Answer. Until next time, we'll see you in the funny papers.